Welcome to the Healthful Woman Podcast. Today is Monday, July 13th, 2020. I hope you enjoyed the mini-series we wrapped up last week on prenatal genetics. This week, we begin a new mini-series on when bad things happen in pregnancy. By nature, I tend to be very positive and optimistic, but unfortunately, many pregnancies do not end well. I think it's really important that we talk openly about some of the serious complications that can occur in pregnancy. But I did not want to just start discussing all the awful things that can happen simply to scare you. Rather, I tried to approach these topics from different angles and in ways that can be productive. Which brings us to today's podcast, Supporting Women with Pregnancy Loss with Shira Billet. Shira is a patient and a friend who went through a very difficult pregnancy loss several years ago. In the years since then, she has spoken publicly on pregnancy loss and counsels women and families who are going through or have gone through pregnancy loss. This is a topic that historically nobody spoke about. My hope for this podcast was to allow Shira to tell her story and what she has learned about pregnancy loss and grief. Her experience and insight can be very helpful for listeners who have experienced a pregnancy loss themselves. Also, for everyone else, I think this podcast will be extremely useful in helping us understand how to better support women and families going through pregnancy loss or any loss, really. Shira and her husband, Rabbi Stephen Exler, have taught me so much over the past few years, and I'm so grateful that Shira agreed to do this podcast. This is the longest podcast we have done thus far, but I'm sure you'll be captured immediately by what Shira has to say. This is a very emotional topic, but the more we can talk about it, the better. Feel free to send along any comments or questions to our email. We would love to hear them. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Welcome to today's episode of Healthful Woman, a podcast designed to explore topics in women's health at all stages of life. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Fox, an OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist practicing in New York City. At Healthful Woman, I speak with leaders in the field to help you learn more about women's health, pregnancy, and wellness. Shira, thanks for coming on Healthful Woman. Great to have you here. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Fantastic. So Shira Billet, who is a doctor, you're a PhD in the philosophy of religion, correct? Something like that, yeah. Shira experienced a loss of pregnancy in 2014, so almost six years ago. And over the past five to six years, Shira and her husband, Rabbi Stephen Exler, have become a resource for women and for families working through pregnancy loss. And you're an advocate, you're a counselor, you're someone who listens, uh, you've been open, you speak publicly about it, which is really special because many people are just unable to do that. And I'm so happy that you agreed to come on our podcast today to talk about it, to talk about pregnancy loss. I think it's such an important topic. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. We spent a lot of time together over the years and we speak a lot. And I've always found that your perspective, both for yourself and for others, is so thoughtful and so important. And there are so many people who are either themselves going through a pregnancy loss or have recently been through a pregnancy loss, or it's something that happened a long time ago, but still hurts them very much, obviously. Or for people who have not gone through that, they have a friend or a family member who went through that and don't really know how to interact with them and how to help them and how to comfort them. And I think that your experience and your perspective on this is really helpful for all of those families. And it's it's really important that you're doing what you're doing. Every time I've spoken about this publicly, I always 
try to say to the audience that I think a lot of people in the room, especially people who are finished having kids and haven't experienced uh, a, a loss in a pregnancy might feel like this topic is irrelevant to them. This might sound morbid, but I just think it's realistic that this stuff is never going to stop happening in the world. And so even if it hasn't happened to us, it will inevitably happen to someone we love at some point in our lives. And so I really do think it's important for everyone to educate themselves about this, learn about this, because even if, thank God, it doesn't feel relevant to you, it's something that that will be useful in the future to know something about. Right. And in terms of how common it is, I mean, early pregnancy losses, what we you know colloquially call miscarriages, are very, very common in most you know, women who have tried to have families and have gone through a, a pregnancy loss, an early one, you know, there are the, there are those who are very blessed who haven't been, but it, it is very common. But as you get later in pregnancy and more advanced in pregnancy, those become less common, but they're not so uncommon. As you said, everyone either knows someone who's gone through this or knows someone who knows someone who's gone through this. It's It's not as far away as you might think. And a lot of people don't talk about it, either their own experiences or others. Have you have you found that other women are willing to discuss it with others or publicly as you are? One of the things that I've learned in both from my own story, which I think we will talk about a little bit later, and from speaking now to so many women and, and couples who've had pregnancy losses, and particularly at, at later stages, is often when they find me, is that every story is so different and every person is so different and every person's reaction is so different. There are also some really, I think, common universal themes that, that I'll touch on like at some point in our conversation as well. And because of that, I would say that there are some people who are comfortable being open and, and more public. And I think there are other people who aren't. But I think that one thing that helps is when we destigmatize the topic by talking about it. I'll just mention briefly that someone in my life who had an early miscarriage a few years ago thought that she didn't know anyone who had an early miscarriage. And then she like kind of bravely told maybe three of her close friends. And it turned out that all of them had had one and they just had never told her. And she felt so comforted knowing that other people had gone through this and it wasn't just her. And I think one of the things that really helps is when we do talk about it, we will, all those people will come out of the woodwork. And I think especially one thing I found when I've spoken publicly is that older women who had losses at a time when this really wasn't talked about and when people were really just told to kind of move on and forget, they'll sometimes still come, still processing their traumas from so many, many years ago, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. And to say like, thank you for talking about this because I'm still kind of dealing with what I went through. And so, and a lot of that, I think a lot of why I think it's unprocessed sometimes for older women is because even less than today, this was really a silenced topic. So it's so important to right. be open and to talk about it. Absolutely. And there and there's, you know, so many important things you just said there. And just to just to highlight a couple of them, when you're talking about early miscarriages, it's an interesting phenomenon that most people don't tell anyone they're pregnant until they get past a certain point. And whatever that point is is different. You know, for a lot of people, it's after the first trimester, after 10 weeks, after normal ultrasound, whatever it is. And I think the reason is because if there's, you know, there may be a miscarriage and they don't want to have to tell people that they were pregnant and then tell people they're no longer pregnant. And that's, and that goes back a long time. And 
it's part of the reason why, as you said, so many women, so many families, they don't, they don't realize how common it is because everyone keeps it a secret, the early pregnancy losses, but it is very common. And the other thing is, is you're mentioning how it, it is a real trauma to have a pregnancy loss, particularly when they're later in pregnancy, obviously maybe you're traumatic early in pregnancy too. And it's not something that you just forget or get over. It doesn't work like that. I mean, trauma, as you said, is going to stick around for, for 30, 40, the rest of your life, uh, maybe whether you talk about it or don't talk about it, but it's, it seems to be made you know, easier if you are talking about it. Yeah, absolutely. I do think that trauma is a key piece of, of this. You know, I think obviously depending on, on the person, it can be traumatic at, at any stage, but I certainly think that at the later stages it really is. And I think though that people who are able to kind of process their trauma in healthy ways will find that even though you never forget, and that's one of the things I do want to talk about today more is, is how you really never forget. But I think, though, that there's different kinds of, of kind of eternal memory. I think there are kinds that are continually re-traumatizing us or, or unprocessed pain. And then I think there are memories that, that we can really live with in healthy ways. And I think the goal really would be that given that it's impossible to forget the experience and the baby or babies that, that have been lost, I think the goal would be to find healthy ways to live with those memories. And I think is that I think when it's not processed in healthy ways, then it becomes those kind of painful, continually re-traumatizing memories. And when it is processed in healthy ways, I think we find ways to incorporate these babies that have died into our life story, but not necessarily in ways that that hurt, you know, with the passage of time, once we've kind of healed from the initial phases of of intense grief and pain. Right. And it's, I mean, no different from uh, any other loss or a death. I mean, this is true for people who lose, unfortunately, they lose children or they lose family members who are young or, you know, friends who are young and sort of something more, quote unquote, unexpected, you know, and someone, when you lose someone, uh, it's always painful, obviously, but the more sort of different it is from what they expected, it's sometimes more traumatic. And, you know, when people lose, you know, babies before they're born, it has the same effect on them and all the things that you would sort of expect for someone who has a loss of uh you know of a child who is born parents go through the same process and the same grief yeah i think it's really true and it's one of the things that that i've really come to understand i think about grief is that there's something quite universal about grief and especially like what you're saying about grief after traumatic losses now because i think people who haven't experienced a pregnancy loss a late pregnancy loss really don't understand that i personally don't you know if i'm talking to someone who's who's lost a, a born person whether it's a a child who who's been born or a sibling or or any of the other examples that you gave you know i won't say to them I, I understand a little bit about what you're going through because of this thing that I went through when I lost um, twins at, at 23 weeks of pregnancy, because I do think that could be really jarring for someone and even offensive, the suggestion that there's some equivalency between these losses. And I, and I don't think there is an equivalency, but what I, what I do, what I have come to believe is really true is that there's something universal about grief that I do think cross over in, in a bunch of different kinds of losses. And there's a lot of similarity to the experience, even though I think 
intuitively we wouldn't expect that when we on some kind of scale of how real we think people are and i think it's pretty common in our society to think that unborn babies are are less real in some way than other sorts of humans and so again it's not something that i would say to someone who had a different kind of loss but it is something that i actually think is true that there's some a really strong shared element to the grief that's just worth people going through the loss knowing because they might think, why am I grieving so much? This wasn't a fully real person or this wasn't a child that I actually knew. And so they might even think that there's something wrong with them for for how much pain they feel. And I think it's actually important to realize, like what you said, that it's a really shockingly intense pain um, that feels like you lost a child, even if you also think it's different from losing a child. Right. And, you know, my perspective is not as someone who who had that kind of loss. And so I, I can't understand it from the same perspective you would or someone else would uh, who has undergone a, a loss. My perspective is, is just as the physician of maternal fetal medicine specialist. So people come to me after losses for their subsequent pregnancy. So I spend a lot of time talking, you know, to women and to couples and to families about loss and about what sort of to expect and what we're going to do and sort of what just, and that's really just my experience in, you know, meeting with and knowing and talking to a lot of families who undergo this. Obviously it's not the same for me, but you know, why don't you tell us your story? Tell us what happened to you and to Steven and what was your experience at the loss and how it affected you at the time. And then obviously to this day. So, you know, one thing I I've been thinking about in anticipating this conversation is is actually how little I tell my story, even though I talk to people rather often, you know, sadly often. And so I kind of want to caveat this by saying that uh, I already mentioned earlier that every story is so different and every person is so different. And I think a real reason why I almost never talk about the details of my story is because when I talk to people, I don't want to impose my experience on them. My story is what happened to me and the ways in which I reacted are the things that are what were right for me. And I would never want anyone to view this as normative or universal. And so often I I listen rather than tell because I think it's much more helpful to meet people where they're at. But because right now, it's just you and me talking. And although, you know, folks who are going to be listening to this will have their own stories, some of them, I, I feel more comfortable saying my story, but I want to preface it by just saying that this is just my story. And, you know, nothing that that I did should be viewed as what everyone ought to do. And at the same time, maybe it's helpful to hear it. And nonetheless, <laughs> I guess with that preface, I'll just say that five years ago, literally this week, I had a positive pregnancy test for my second pregnancy. And one thing I'll say is that I have three children who, who are alive and in my home that I'm raising. And I have no clue when I had a positive pregnancy test with any of them. I only remember the date of the pregnancy test from this pregnancy that I lost. And I think it's because with trauma and the subsequent trauma that, that wound up happening in that pregnancy, it kind of froze those memories and the vividness of the time such that the kind of five and a half months of that pregnancy, I actually remember in greater and more vivid details than some things I did like last week. And so, but it does still feel kind of significant for me to be having this conversation 
exactly around the time when I first found out about that pregnancy five years ago in May 2015. It was my second pregnancy and my oldest was about 18 months old and my first child was 18 months old and I was both excited but also scared about having another child. Life was busy, life was full. And then the really shocking thing was at about seven weeks pregnant, I found out unexpectedly that I was expecting twins. Uh, This is what actually ultimately led me to your practice. I was seeing a midwife at the time. And then I kind of realized that that practice was pretty much in over their heads once we realized that the twins were identical and shared a placenta. And so Uh, Someone had recommended your name, actually, and I switched over to your practice. It was a really happy time in my life, I guess I would say, from the initial intense fear of being pregnant with twins when I was nervous about even having one more child at the time, came this excitement and a feeling of being really lucky. They were identical twin girls, and there was this feeling of just how special that was. And my husband and I felt very blessed. And I remember that summer we had a farm share and we used to get eggs. And for whatever reason, just that summer, the eggs always had two yolks in them. And it felt like a sign that like twins, this was meant to be. It was all this kind of crazy stuff coming together. And it's really funny because I still get that farm share and I've never had twin eggs (laughs) since that summer. And in any case, it it was a happy time and other happy things happened that summer. My, My younger sister got married and my parents married off all of their children. And I was 18 weeks pregnant with my baby girls and my sister was getting married and it was sisters and all these things kind of felt like Uh, They were coming together and life felt really good. And then at about 22 or 21 weeks, that all changed when we found out pretty unexpectedly that the twins had gone through a complication of uh, the most common complication of identical twin pregnancies called twin to twin transfusion syndrome. And we found out that one of the twins had died in utero. And this was a really intense shock. And it was really painful. One of the twins was still alive at the time. And it was kind of this feeling of like the twins were gone. Uh, There was a baby now. And in fact, even in in medical terms, I I remember sitting in, in the office of your practice and watching them go through all of the appointments that I had scheduled and switching them from twin appointments to singleton appointments, which was like so shockingly painful because suddenly I was pregnant with a singleton, even though I had two babies inside of me. It's just that one of them was dead. And there were so many feelings and I can't even get through all of them. But one of the things that I felt was both incredibly grateful that I still had one baby and then also not quite knowing how to deal with this shift with the fact that that there were supposed to be two and now there was only one. But then, of course, even that one was taken from us when about a week later, I went into preterm labor that was unstoppable. And I gave birth to both babies. And the, the one that had been alive died at birth because it was too early to be born and to live. And um, I also gave birth to the one that had died in utero. And this began this really intense journey of grieving, which is what led me to the work that you described that I do on the side. It's not my professional work. It's it's all just kind of word of mouth and whoever wants to talk to me and whoever sends their friends to me of supporting others through these things so that they can have more support and feel more understood when they go through 
what I went through. Was that something that you did intentionally or did it just sort of happen that people started calling you and, you know, hey, I have a friend and they say, would you be willing to talk to her or talk to them? And or did you sort of seek out those opportunities? So I think it was a combination of both. Only just about three months after our twins died, a, a couple that my husband knew, that my husband had gone to school with the husband and the couple, they reached out to my husband saying that they were expecting identical twin boys who shared a placenta that had just been diagnosed with twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome. And they were scared and they didn't know who to turn to. And And because they had heard through the grapevine about our story, they called us and we supported them. And I'll I'll confess that it was extremely painful actually at the time because their babies were still alive. And it was kind of like helping someone else have their babies live when my babies had been taken from me. And it was sharing all the knowledge that I had gained that I, that I wished I had known at the time before our loss. And at the same time, it felt like absolutely the right thing to do. And it felt like something I was doing for my babies. And so what I'll say is the way that it began in my mind, the way that I thought about doing this work was because I, one of the things that I felt had been taken from me was the opportunity to be a mother to these babies because uh, they were dead. And, and yet I had already dreamed about them and, and kind of planned to be their mother from before. And so the way it kind of worked in my mind was that if I could do something that would make the world better or help other people. And it was something that I wouldn't have done or or couldn't have done if not for the fact that those babies had once lived inside of me and now died. Then that felt like some kind of alternative version of being a mother. It's not like, you know, changing diapers or feeding or, you know, whatever mothers do for babies that live, but it felt like something like mothering. And with that framing, it really felt very meaningful to me to support others. And and those people, by the way, I'll just mention that those people, it wound up being that their babies also died. So it shifted from helping them get the right medical care to supporting them through loss. And then, and they, by the way, got the best medical care possible and still their babies died, which was also an important lesson for me because we had kind of missed the opportunity to know what was happening to our babies before it was too late and they didn't. And and they, it, it showed me an example of just how precarious these things can be, even when you do have the best knowledge and, and treatment, but that's, that's a different story for another time. And so, yeah, once I kind of framed it for myself as, as a kind of motherhood, it really felt like, like a calling and I don't, and then different sorts of opportunities arose in different kinds of ways. And, 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 and as much as I helped others, it it helped me heal to do that work also. Right. So it was somewhat, you know, partially therapeutic in the same time that you're helping others. It's, it's helping yourself go through loss. Oh, it was absolutely therapeutic. And, and people would always thank me for, for the time and for, you know, the effort. And, and I was always honest with them that, that it also helped me. So, you know, it, it was it was very mutual. Right. And also at the same time, you develop, I'm sure, very strong bonds between people because, I mean, this type of shared experience, even though, as you said, each story is unique and different, but this concept of this, you know, intense grief around pregnancy is, and to have that and to share that with another, you know, person or another couple is probably something that they'll never forget. And you probably, I imagine you're in touch with a lot of these people 
well beyond the initial loss. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I have times of year that I try to go through my proverbial Rolodex of, of people that, that over the years I've spoken to. And, and Mother's Day, which just passed uh, this year, is one example of a time when I try to reach out to as many people as I can remember that I've connected to, to just tell them that, that I'm, you know, remembering their their baby that died on Mother's Day. And for different people, there are other times of year that I know are connected for them, whether it's the season of, of when the loss happened or holidays or other sorts of, of moments of the year. So absolutely, I, I try my best to to remember and reach out. And it is a bond and a connection that doesn't go away. And even though many of those people I'm, I'm no longer in active touch with, often in the beginning, you know, they, I'm, I'm regularly in touch with them and they're regularly in touch with me. And as lives move on, we're not in active touch, but it's always special to, to reconnect at those moments and, and for them to feel like their baby is remembered. And, and for me in turn to know that they remember my babies. uh, Absolutely. And do you think that, you know, you're sort of part of you being drawn to this do you think your your experiences as growing up in the house, you know, of a of a pretty prominent pastor, you know, your father is a pulpit rabbi and you're married <laughs> to the rabbi of a congregation and so you've always been in this sort of communal pastoral household. Do you think that has anything to to do with it or is it just somewhat coincidental? It's hard to know. One thing I know from growing up in in my parents' household is how much of an emphasis they gave especially my mother on being able to to speak publicly for me and my siblings from time to time in our lives, there were moments when we were called on to speak publicly and my mother practiced with us and, and made sure that we looked up from the page and spoke with enunciation and, and, and things like that. And so I think I certainly attribute my ability to speak publicly about things even when it feels hard, which is part of, of what this has been for me to to growing up in, in my household. And certainly I think that in my role now and and in my parents' role when I was growing up, supporting people through pain is a big part of it. I can't say that it's only because of that, meaning there are certainly other people who who do this who who weren't raised in in the households of of pastors or rabbis, etc. And so I'm sure it's a piece of it and and also calling in its own right that that different people find. Now I also know other people who've done other sorts of things to mother their to use that expression of mothering for the, the the babies that aren't alive have done other sorts of work that isn't necessarily direct pastoral care for for people going through losses but other kinds of creative responses i know someone who created a kind of happiness program that wound up being like quite popular and successful that that people in all dealing with all sorts of grief or or disappointment or other things you know it wasn't just about losing babies even though that was the impetus for creating the program for this woman so yeah i i'm sure it's 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 a part of it and also it's something that that people can do even if they haven't been raised in that sort of household. Right. Now, obviously, I think that anyone can go and decide that they're going to help others and decide that they're going to talk about it either publicly or just individually. But I do imagine that there's some just, it's sort of like an expectation. You know, you've always been around, you know, your whole family, you know, when you're growing up and now are just people who help others in many different ways. And I think it's just sort of the, your your own personal values and culture. And it's, it's you know, one of the reasons I'm sure also people are drawn to you 
uh, in addition to just, you know, being someone who's easy to talk to and, you know, very caring. I think that it's, uh, it probably does have a, uh, maybe even makes the people who come to you more uh, open about it themselves. I don't know. It's, uh, it's hard well, to know I with these things. Well, I certainly think that that's true. I do think that some people who might be hesitant to talk to someone are more open to talking to me because they see me as a rabbi's wife and as someone who, I don't know, is in a more official role or just someone who who feels more comfortable to talk to. So I certainly think that that has helped people feel open. I, one thing I found is that a lot of people who especially are in the earlier stages of, of, of this kind of traumatic loss and grief are so just lost in the world and overwhelmed by, by what they've gone through that they find it really hard to talk to anybody. And I actually remember feeling this way very much. I really couldn't talk to anybody. And yet, if someone suggests that they talk to me, they will because maybe because of, of the role in the same way that people might talk to their pastor and not to anybody else during certain challenging moments. I do think the role does help open people up. And, and I'm glad for that because I, I do find that it's often a relief for them to talk to someone, but they wouldn't necessarily have kind of found the energy to do it in, in all contexts. Right. And I, I definitely want to focus on uh, some of the themes that come up in your conversations with and your experiences with other women who are going through this. And I think, as you said, I think we should start with grief because that is such a, you know, important part of this, if not the most important part of this. And you said that you had a lot of thoughts about it, and so I'll I'll, I'll let you start. Uh, and obviously, I'll I'll maybe pepper you with some questions afterwards. But uh, I'm curious what your thoughts were on that, just on grief in general, and particularly regarding pregnancy loss. One of the key themes that I always say every time I talk to someone is number one. It will get better, but it will take a long time. It will take longer than you think. And that it can't get better without experiencing a tremendous amount of pain. And it's a pain that, that nobody can really take away for, from us. It's something that we have to live through. What friends and, and family can do, and I'll talk more about that in a bit, is, is to be there and to support and to help kind of cushion the blow and to help us feel less alone on this journey. But grief is... A, a journey of pain that has to be lived through. It cannot be taken away or kind of shouldered by someone else. It, it's just not how it works. So that's number one. But you will go through a lot of pain and you will also be better one day. It won't always feel like this. That That's something that I that I tell people. I've really come to believe that, that grief is, is a kind of natural process that has both physical and emotional elements to it. And as a physical process, I think it's important to, like any other physical process that our body needs to go through, I think it's really important to kind of lean in to the grief and to almost like trust our bodies that they know what they need to do to get through this. I think a lot of people have, a lot of people, and especially I think family members, have a sense of kind of how long like maybe a week, two, maybe a month is like a time to be really sad. But then after X amount of time, like it's it becomes thought to be unhealthy that someone is still grieving. And that's something that I really want to kind of emphatically disagree with. Meaning I do think there's a time when 
I should just say, I think there's a time when, when, when it can feel unhealthy, but I think that time is, is much longer than, than people often think. I think that I always tell people like, give yourself a year of before you start to really feel like maybe something needs to really, really change here or trust yourself. If you feel like it's unhealthy, it's gotten to a point of, of being unhealthy, then, then do something about it. Seek professional help. But I think that there's a kind of common thought that if someone is still feeling so sad after two weeks or a month, something must be wrong. And I think that's really not true. This is a, a natural process that, that can't be um, hastened. And I think that one of the things that I've come to learn is that we actually have a lot of intuitions that, that we ought to listen to in this. We, like, we should trust our our hearts and, and our and our bodies that they actually know what they need to do to get through. And most basically everyone I, I've spoken to has gone through, you know, ha, has gone through a journey of tremendous pain and everyone gets better. Everyone is not, doesn't remain forever stuck in that time. But I think that we need to let ourselves go through the process. And I think I'll just say personally for myself, there was a time when I when I sought out therapy for for PTSD. And that was a moment when I felt like this was no longer just the natural grieving process, but I felt like I had gotten stuck and that I needed an outsider to come and help me get to a place because I felt that that it, it got to a point where I didn't feel like I was wearing I was supposed to be in my life, that 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 I was still in too much pain and I needed to kind of be present fully for, for my children. And and that was something that I did. But that was after I would say about a year and a half of after losing my twins. And up until that point, I actually felt that the the pain I was experiencing, it felt like the right thing. And then it got to a point where it didn't feel like the right thing. And um, and then the therapy that I did really helped me. And so I would say for each person, don't let other people tell you when it's unhealthy. Wait till you agree. Wait till you feel that. Because I think one of the problem, one of the, the very common things that I see with people is that their loved ones are are trying to hasten the process. Their loved ones don't want to see them so sad. And so they push, you know, to heal quicker. And I just think it doesn't work that way. Let me just emphasize here that I'm not giving medical advice, meaning I think it's great. Some people already have a therapist that they're, that they, that they've already been seeing in their lives and, and then they continue with therapy to work through the loss. Other people start seeing a therapist immediately and that's great. And it's not, what I'm saying is not really about the timing of when you might seek outside help. It's more about how we judge the grieving process and, and whether it's it's gotten to a point of, of healthy and, and unhealthy. I think that people should process this with whoever helps them from the from the beginning or at a later time, but trust yourself that you know what you need. Right. And I think that it's it's so important when you're talking about that it's not really another's decision about when it's too long or when it's sort of answering because of why are you still grieving it that's it's really not it's it's internal and you know I see women in the in the subsequent pregnancy this this could be years later and you know they're still grieving and as you said they're they're better because it's been time they're not you know they're still obviously in, in a lot of grief and then when the next pregnancy happens all that comes back because there's tremendous anxiety you know there's aspects like you said PTSD because the the next pregnancy is so hard on them. And when we talk about that, I, I tell them, I say, like, 
it's okay to feel these things. Like you're supposed to feel these things. This is, you know, this is normal. And I, I say, you know, if, if something, you know, someone were walking through Central Park at night and they got attacked and then, you know, it's a horrible thing. They're in the hospital and it's awful. A month later, if they're walking through Central Park at night and it's dark, they're going to be physically ill. Their heart's going to be racing. They're going to throw up. They're going to feel awful. And I said, that's what's happening with your next pregnancy. So you don't have to a feel bad that you feel so anxious and worried. And you certainly don't have to explain yourself or justify it to others. I said, this is what you're supposed to be feeling it will help you get through it. But don't feel like there's something wrong with you because you're having that. This is something right with you. This is the normal human response to some to a trauma. And you should be feeling this as you go through the next pregnancy. And I think when we when we stop, we as you know, doctors or family members, whoever, stop trying to tell people it'll be okay, it'll be okay, feel well, feel well. Like, yeah, we should reassure, but you know, at the same time, you have to validate that what they're feeling is real and is supposed to be there. Exactly. I think that's exactly the point is that it's supposed to be. You know, I sometimes say to people, given this abnormal situation, given this situation that isn't supposed to have happened, the way you're feeling now is exactly what you're supposed to be feeling. And so it's it feels like it's not a normal situation. But given that, this is exactly the normal thing. And, and I do think that's so important. And you know, I remember reading a piece kind of early on where the theme of the piece was the only way out is through. And it's just really true. If we allow ourselves to go through that process and to, and to feel permission to feel the feelings that we feel, those feelings won't haunt us anymore. They, they will actually go away. Whereas the women who I meet who lost a baby 50 years ago and the baby was kind of whisked away and, and no one ever spoke of it again and it was all in hushed terms behind closed doors and, and then it was silenced forever. Those are the women who, who were never allowed to feel their pain because they're, to really feel it because there was no social permission. And then they still are stuck in it now. Whereas I think the people who go through this intense process of, of really leaning into the grief in the first year or however long, longer, shorter, for, it's different for each person, then those people actually get healthy afterwards. And that's kind of the amazing part of it is that if we allow it to happen in the way that it should, it, it actually doesn't haunt us forever. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, two things you said, which, which, you know, struck me is the first is about that sort of that line between when the grief is sort of normal to when you feel that this is something that's not right. And maybe you should seek help. There is, you know, I'm not a mental health professional. Like I'm not a psychologist, psychiatrist, whoever. Uh, I obviously see a lot of people with, you know, mental health diagnoses or concerns. There are lines that people pass in their grief where it becomes unhealthy for them. You know, things like they they can't eat anymore, they can't sleep anymore, they can't function, you know, and they're really, you know, suffering physically. And, you know, okay. And at those points, it's it's probably wise to make sure that there's nothing really, you know, unhealthy going on. But that's, you know, for most people, it's not clinical depression, it's grief. You know, people who exactly. are sad, right? If you're sad over a loss, you're not you maybe have the the symptom of depression or you may feel depression, but you don't have the diagnosis of depression, right? It's a different situation. And the same is true like anxiety. You can be anxious over something and not have an anxiety disorder. You're anxious like over something that's real. And so it's it's not always, you know, it's not really necessarily the symptoms. It's sort of how the other functions are going. And, you know, in terms of the grief, you know, when unfortunately I've, I've, you know, as you know, I've had to deliver babies that we knew before, you know, had passed. 
and that whole experience is is horrible obviously and after the baby is born the the mother has a choice of whether she would like to you know see the baby hold the baby spend time with the baby and i would say most women do and we we typically encourage them to for the reasons you said that it it does give women some it helps them through the grieving process potentially and a lot of people who don't you know see the baby or hold the baby come to regret it later and you know in those circumstances we too take photos and there's you know keepsake that the hospital just keeps you know pretty much indefinitely in case someone comes back and asks but for women who say they they don't it's just not they're not ready or there's just not they're not there to to do that it's hard i mean certainly we wouldn't push them to do it uh you know to spend time with the baby but it's hard to know if if they are going to later regret that for sort of the reasons you said it's a it's a difficult uh, situation, obviously, and to make those decisions is hard at the time. One of the really hard things that that I've felt is that oftentimes when these sorts of late pregnancy losses happen, and then there's a birth of of a baby that that has either died in utero or, you know, in my case, it was kind of a combination of a baby that died in utero and and a preterm labor of a baby that couldn't survive past birth. And in either of those cases, you're sudden oftentimes you didn't know that far in advance that this was going to happen. Oftentimes it's like just found out on an ultrasound that the baby died and then suddenly you're either getting induced or to, to give birth or, or, you know, if you've gone into kind of a sudden unexpected preterm labor and things like that and all sorts of decisions have to be made that are permanent decisions, but you don't have time to do the research or to, to really know what to do. And, and it's also a time of being so emotionally overwhelmed and sometimes I really regret that when I, when I, by the time someone talks to me, it's after all of those decisions have been made. And I, and I wish I could have been there before because I think it helps to be able to talk to someone first to, to have a little bit of a sense of what to expect and, and, and what decisions to make. And I will say that for me and my husband, one of the things that we were like kind of tragically lucky about was that a really close friend of ours had had a pregnancy loss at a very similar stage of pregnancy only seven months earlier than us. And we had supported them through the loss without knowing what it was because at that time we had never gone through anything like that. And then suddenly it was kind of a role reversal where I called them um, the day that I was going to give birth when I was in labor. And I said to them, like, you know, what, give us advice. What should we do? And they kind of tragically shared with us that they didn't have any, they had like one weird picture of baby that the hospital took, but they didn't have any pictures of themselves holding the baby because at the time they didn't want it. But now they like deeply regret that they didn't have it. And so they just said like, you know, hold the babies and and make sure to take a lot of pictures of yourselves holding the babies. I don't know what we would have done if we didn't have these friends to kind of guide us in that. And I think far too many people obviously don't have someone there to guide them who's who's been there. And so all sorts of decisions are made in the moment based on whatever advice you get or or what you intuitively feel. And and I would always encourage people to hold the baby only if for no other reason than that you might regret it later. But I also think that if someone feels so confident that they don't want to hold the baby, I would never push them not to because I do strongly believe in in kind of trusting ourselves in this process. And so even though for me, 
it, I would never do it any differently, you know, and we did hold the babies and, and we have lots of pictures, rarely look at the pictures now, but I really deeply value having them and knowing exactly where they are. And it was extremely painful at the time. And, and I think that holding them kind of magnified how real they were at the same time as I think it helped me in the ways that, that you and I have been talking about of, of really like leaning into the, the pain and, and the reality of, of, of how deep this loss was that set me on a journey that helped me ultimately get to a place of, of where I am today, where I feel like, you know, a really healthy person. And I don't feel like this loss, as much as it's, it's a huge part of me, and it has certainly changed me, I don't feel like it is something that is a source of tremendous kind of pain in my life. It's more something that I can think of with sadness that we never got to raise those babies or, or have those babies or, or know what our family would have been like um, with those babies, but also a kind of acceptance of, of this is my life story. And it has given me an opportunity to help so many other people. My living children know about these babies and I know that they will be more compassionate towards others in their lives when they're adults because this is part of our family story. And so, you know, while I certainly don't wish it had happened, and I, in fact, you know, wish it had never happened that, that we lost them, I also see how it has made me the person I am today. And I'm able to kind of think about that with a, with a healthy perspective. And I, I really do attribute that to just going through the grief process and, and getting there. And it just takes a lot of time and pain. And I think that, you know, one of the things that, you know, you touched upon before, and I think it's it's the big difference between what you're describing, which is coming to that place where, you know, that this is your, you know, reality and this is your family and this is your experience. And the difference between that and the term like closure, like closure implies like this is, you know, close the book, it's behind me, I'm going to move on. But that's not what you're describing at all. You're describing, you know, the the idea that these babies, you know, are a part of your family and your family story. And it's not something that's sort of behind you to never be thought about again. This is obviously a very tragic experience, but this is the experience of your family. And and you, you know, your, your daughters, you know, they have names, right? I mean, their names, you know, they're Yakira, they're Tamima, they're, you know, they're, they're babies who are named and they're part of your family and they're part of your story. And I think that's such an important thing. And I know that, you know, I've, you've shared with me a lot of the things that you've, you know, said to others and spoken publicly. And that's one of the things that you, one of the themes that you talk about is recognizing that these babies are a part of the family. And that's not just for the people who are grieving, but also for the rest of us who are trying to either help the people who are grieving or just know the people who are grieving. And this you know, shift from maybe how it was that these babies are forgotten and not spoken about and sort of, you know, that they're in the past and actually thinking about them as babies, like you said, and, you know, thinking about people on Mother's Day or what the baby's, you know, birthday was or what the due date would have been or whatever that date might be, as opposed to thinking about something that's gone in the past. Yeah, I think that 100% true that 
closure isn't the right word because babies that people have lost are, are always part of them. I think the right thing is to realize that and to acknowledge that and to help people find what I've kind of described as a, a healthy way to live with this as part of your story, not something that that brings you down or, or makes you sad forever, but something that is just a part of your life. Like so many things are part of our lives. And so I do think that acknowledging that you remember the baby or the babies to people from time to time over the years, whether it's Mother's Day or I think of other milestone moments, like when another baby is born, if, you know, if, if that's part of people's stories, that they have another child after a loss that doesn't always happen or when people buy a new house or, or any kind of milestone moment when you're, you're kind of reflecting on, on your life and, and your family as it is. I think those are the moments to say to people that you remember the baby. And I think some people are worried about bringing it up because they think that they'll kind of bring someone down at a happy time. But I think it's just the opposite. I think your the working assumption should be that if you're thinking about the baby, they are too. And in fact, if you're not thinking about the baby, they are too. And and I think people really appreciate knowing that this little existence hasn't been forgotten. I think one of the things that that is painful for people is kind of not knowing what to do with this baby who who feels real to them, but it feels like was never part of the world. And so I think that when other people remember in some way, it does feel like the in some way the existence lives on of this baby that never got to live. Uh, and I think it is really meaningful to them. Right. And I mean, one of the horrible parts of losses is not just, you know, there's the the loss of what was, but there's also the loss of, you know, moving forward that that's not going to happen. And people grieve over both. They grieve over their, you know, the loss, and then they grieve over the fact that things aren't going to occur that would have occurred. And the thought, the idea that someone is is remembering, you know, I don't forget, I'm not forgetting. And, you know, your your baby is not forgotten, like you said, I think is very uh, meaningful to people more so than than painful and would, as you said, be very much appreciated. Are, are there other pieces of advice you could give to those not who are going through the loss, but who are, you know, who know someone who's going through a loss, whether it's a family member or friend, how they can be supportive and helpful in addition to just things like you mentioned of, of not forgetting the baby and of recognizing and mentioning and talking about the baby at, at various events? Are there other things that you've seen that, you know, sort of common either mistakes that people make frequently or or good things that people do frequently that, that you want to highlight? I guess just going back to the theme of grief, I think that one of the most important things is to really understand it. If you do, you can be the most helpful and avoid some of the things that hurt. And so I want to kind of reiterate what I said before about grief being a natural process to say that it's real and and in some ways it's it's something that we can't control in the ways that we would want. Certainly in, in the early phases of, of the kind of initial moments of, of loss. And I think that the instinct of friends and relatives is to take away the pain. And I think it's really important to understand that that's something we can't do. And the other thing is that we want the person to get better quickly to be happy again because we love them and we want them to be happy because I think often something we think about people we love is that we want them to be happy, right? That's natural. And the issue is that we actually can't force that. We have to let people go through this. But I think that we have to also really be there with them in going through it. And that's really hard. 
because what that entails is that you have to be able to really kind of bear witness to someone's raw and devastating and ongoing pain and not try to fix it and just to kind of be there with them and to continue to show our love and care and to continue to show up, even though it actually, A, hurts us to see them in so much pain and B, is a real downer. <laughs> like, if we're not going through that, we we don't want to constantly be brought back into something so horrible. And so I think there's both of those elements are part of what motivates us to kind of not want the person to be in pain anymore. And I think a key thing is to realize that we can't stop that and that we actually have to stay with them, even though we don't want to in a lot of ways. And, you know, one of the things that that I think about when I think back to myself in that time is that it was it was probably the most selfish time of my life in those early months of, of intense grief, normally the, the kind of person that I am is I'm always like doing things for others, giving, trying to take care of people, trying to help people, trying to, you know, solve people's problems and, and whatever. And in the early stages of grief, I was literally like in pure survival mode. I was in so much pain that I felt almost like I could die. I mean, not literally, but it felt like so painful that I could, I felt like I could barely manage to live with this much pain. And what I really couldn't do when I was just trying to survive was like somehow make what I was going through better for other people. I couldn't make it them feel better when they were suffering by seeing me in so much pain. And I think that that was something that was really hard was I think other people wanted me to kind of tell them that I was okay, or I was going to be okay. And I just couldn't take care of them because I just could barely take care of myself. And, you know, I remember, like, just thinking back to it, that I was like, just so fragile, and so easily crushed. And I felt like the whole world was like, just full of landmines, like I could any second, someone could say something that could just kind of throw me back into, you know, whatever. And so I think that that's a time of, of recognizing that people who are in really deep grief, I think they're self-absorbed, but I think it's because they have to be. They're in pure survival mode. And and one of the things that I learned later from a friend of mine was that apparently in one of those early days, like she dropped everything in her very stressful life to, you know, do a favor for me and my husband. And years later, she told me that it was like so hard for her to drop everything and do this for us. And that she said that I, I barely looked at her and I never thanked her for doing it. And I mentioned earlier that I have like hyper vivid memories from from this time in my life, like better than than things I did last week. I, I remember the whole pregnancy and the aftermath. And, you know, I racked my brain when she told me about this and I could not for the life of me. I had no memory of, of what she was describing. Like it literally didn't penetrate into my consciousness at the time. And what it made me realize is I think that a friend who's grieving really demands a lot of care, not like they're actively demanding it, but they need. And that's really hard. And it kind of sucks. And we're used to friendships being mutual and like we give and, and our friends give and it's it's two way. And I think in the moment that a friend is grieving, a friendship really becomes one way. And they might not even like notice when you do something nice for them or thank you. And it's not because they're like mean or they don't like you or something. It's It might literally be that they're just like so trying to stay afloat and trying to survive. And so my advice for friends is to realize that this might be a phase of friendship that is really one way. It's just pure love and pure giving. Um, and that can be really, really hard. And if you need to take a break, you know, take a break. 
but also be really compassionate and be and know that your friend will come back but it takes time and I guess the other thing I would say is that is that we never know when we're going to be the ones going through something and I think that every friendship has a time when one person is giving and one person is taking it happens for the different members of the friendship at, at different moments and we will all have a time when we need to receive and we can't give and so I think if friends can recognize that and 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 be forgiving it will help the friendship get through uh, this hard time so that's just another thing I think that that friends can do it and it's hard it's really 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 hard I would say to support a friend who's intensely grieving right and and as you said sometimes it means literally just sitting there just being there just showing up you know sitting holding someone's hand or just sitting next to them and just saying you know I'm so sorry I'm here for you and, right. And uh, also continuing to show up, even if they don't respond to your texts or your right, calls right? Um, and not getting hurt or offended, but rather just knowing like they can't, they can't right now, but I still love them. And so I will continue to show up. You know, it's like, uh, this is a ridiculous analogy, but you know, with, with like feeding children, introducing new foods, like all the books say the child could refuse a food like 10 times, but the 11th time they might take it. And so don't give up after five times of refusal. And I, and I would say that in some ridiculous analogy to that, don't give up on, on supporting and reaching out to your friend, even if it seems like they don't want it or they're not responding, just continue showing up with love. They will appreciate it. They will thank you later for kind of sticking it out with them. Right. I mean, the, the, the wisest person in my life, my wife, you know, always, you know, talks about this idea that don't send someone a text saying, what can I do for you? Or if you need something, I'm here. She said, just do it. Just show up, you know, show up, drop something off that you don't know if they need, they don't need, bring over food, offer to take their kids somewhere, you know, just do something. And if they don't want it, they'll say no. But putting the responsibility on the person who's grieving to think of how can someone help me, all right, if they happen to have something, fine. But most of the time, like you said, you're not even like, you're barely taking care of yourself and to think, oh, you know, you can go buy milk for me. Like, you're not even going to think about that. And so just do it. And this idea, like you said, of not, you know, so many times when I'm speaking to people, they'll tell me of all the things that people said to them that were so hurtful. And obviously the people who said them were not trying to be hurtful. They were trying to be helpful. They were, they care about them. They love them. They just didn't know what to say. And so people say things like, oh, you know, you'll be better when you know, whatever it is, you'll be better in a month, you'll be better when you have your next baby or you know, something of that sorts, or they try to minimize the pain. Again, it's it's done out of love and mostly, you know, sort of ignorance about what to say. And but those things aren't necessary. Uh, you know, someone's grieving, just, you know, just be there for them and just let them know you're there and you love them and, and, and do things for them, like you said. And it's not about trying to, you know, remove their pain as much as just be there with them as they go through it. Like you said, it's a it's a, a journey that's required to get to the other end. Absolutely. Shira, I'm I'm so thankful that you agreed to come on to talk about this. I know that this is something that you're very passionate about and something that, as you said, you know, you do uh, on a regular basis for, you know, individuals who are going through this, which is so important and so critical for people who are going through such loss to have, you know, someone who's 
been through some form of loss, you know, like you said, maybe not the exact same, but something, you know, very traumatic and, you know, you have insight and you're, you're caring and you're helpful, but also in this forum where you're talking to people who you don't know, you have no idea who's listening and whether it's someone who themselves is going through a loss or went through a loss and maybe they're rethinking about it and their own grieving process or, or all the people are fortunate, fortunate enough to not have gone through a loss, but, you know, we all learn from your insights and your you know openness about how to help others who might be going through this and it's so important because as you said this is not so rare so many people have to go through this and the more that all of us can understand that and recognize that and talk about it uh, hopefully we will continue to move in the right direction and be available to support you know, women and families who are going through such, you know, tragedies. Thank you for inviting me. And, and it, it has been my pleasure to have this conversation with you. And, and just before we end, I wanted to kind of publicly say something about what you've done for me, which I think is a broader lesson about what a doctor can do and, and the role that a doctor can play in this journey. And I think it's, it's a big, it's a big role actually. And so I just wanted to say that, you know, when I think back to that time, first of all, just in the horrible, the most horrible week of my life between when the first baby died and, and the preterm labor, you were literally there for me 24 seven. You didn't make me feel like a burden at all. I think once I called you in the middle of the night and you answered my call and you were compassionate, you listened to me and, and you were honest with me. And, and one of the things I appreciate is that you you kind of balance between not promising me anything you couldn't deliver. Like you couldn't promise me that, that this was going to be okay or that the second baby was going to live. But you also allowed me to hope in ways that were reasonable, even if they weren't certain. And I, I really needed that, um, that balance between realism and hope. And I still remember that the morning after our babies were born, which they were born at midnight, you must have been on call the next morning and you, and you came in at 7 a.m. and you brought me and my husband coffee, which was such a nice gesture. And you called us a few days later just to check in. And then you spoke to me at my postpartum appointment and helped me kind of rehash and process everything. And then a few months later, I reached out to you because I still needed to rehash and process everything. And, and you gave me so much time. And I, over the years, I've, I've sent you things that I've written on this topic and you always read them. You write back commenting with compassion and with interest. And you were my doctor in my two subsequent uncomplicated pregnancies. And, and as you described, you really understood my trauma and the ways in which being pregnant again was so terrifying for me. And you, the only way I was able to survive those pregnancies emotionally was because of your compassion. And I would say that as much as I really do wish I had never gone through this experience, one of the gifts that my husband and I always feel came out of it was our, our friendship with you. So we're extremely grateful to you for, for all you've done for us. And we know that you've done that for infinitely many other people. And we just are always in awe of, of the work you do. I appreciate that very much. Thank you. And yes, it's, it's, you know, this is not about me, obviously, but it's, it's, you know, when we have people who, you know, are patients of ours or friends of ours or both, and they go through these losses, it's, it's very difficult on the doctors as well to varying degrees, obviously, based on the exact circumstances of who the person is, what the story is, but it's hard. I mean, these are things we take home with us and we we think about and, you know, there's so much that's, you know, it's a whole other topic about, you know, the grieving doctor, which is clearly not what we're talking about today, but it's, it is a, a very difficult thing. But 
you know, as you said, one of the things that that happens to these, you know, experiences that are so traumatic, obviously for for you and for for Stephen, and you know, to a much lesser degree to the doctor, is it really does bring people together who may not have done that otherwise. And in the same way, you know, when the reason I read the things you send me, it's not because I'm kind, it's because they're great. And it's, you know, what you write about this and and the thoughts you have about this and your, you know, as I've always told you, your your problem is you're you're too smart. Your your IQ is too high. So you, you know, the, the way you process this and, you know, the sort of the the insights that you bring, I really I I value and I it helps me when I'm working with people who are going through this, whether professionally or personally. And that's why it's so important that what the work you're doing to help everyone sort of do this a little bit better for others who are going through this. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Healthful Woman podcast. To learn more about our podcast, please visit our website at www.healthfulwoman.com. That's H-E-A-L-T-H-F-U-L-W-O-M-A-N.com. If you have any questions about this podcast or any other topic you would like us to address, please feel free to email us at hw at healthfulwoman.com. Have a great day. The information discussed in Healthful Woman is intended for educational uses only. It does not replace medical care from your physician. Healthful Woman is meant to expand your knowledge of women's health and does not replace ongoing care from your regular physician or gynecologist. We encourage you to speak with your doctor about specific diagnoses and treatment options for an effective treatment plan.